Hey, it's great to be with you this morning as we continue uh, in the book of Galatians, right? Um, We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 26. We're going to work our way through chapter 4, verse 7. Two of the most important questions that you can answer and that all humanity needs to answer in life is this. Who is God and who am I? Those two questions are fundamental to understanding life, to to understanding the reality that we live in. Um, How you answer those will fundamentally shape how you view life, how you view God, how you view humanity and your role in it. And um, so think about it for a moment. Fundamentally, who is God? Who am I? Who is God? (laughs) We will have eternity to ponder, to enjoy. I don't think we'll ever come to the end and say, I got it. So imagine this, for all of eternity, we're going to be blown away by the majesty of God. If there is such a thing as gone to sleep in the new heaven, new earth, when we arise, wake up, if that's a thing, we will be like, wow, did you know that? Because otherwise you'd be, you'd be bored for all of eternity. You'd never get to the end of God. He's inexhaustible. So who is God? Well, we can get to some of those answers, but we can't ever come to the end. But we can definitely know who God is. He wants to be known. He loves to reveal himself to us, right? Who am I? That's a a deep question too. But I think today what we're going to do is we're going to be able to see at the core for all of those who are in Christ, those who are believers, we can see the deepest meaning of that truth today in this text. And, and so it's, it's something you can anchor your soul to. You know, we, loved, we live in a world that loves to answer those two questions untethered from truth. This, they, 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 they make God in their own image, right? And from their own imagination, right? That, that is the God that they create, that they shape. When I say they, I mean me. I, this was my life until the Lord saved me. Right? And even after I got saved, it wasn't like, oh, okay, I'm never going to do that again. I still love to make little G gods made in Scott's image. They never argued with me. They always thought I was right. They would always tell me to do the things I always wanted to do. Boy, I love to worship at that altar. Right? And, and yet, that is not the reality we should have. Don't, but if you don't believe me, by the way, just look around and observe humanity, you will see people making God in their own image, right? And from their own imagination. And they'll form their identity primarily from what they do, and therefore when the wind blows, they can get blown all around, right? Um, Thankfully, we've not been left on our own to grope around in the dark and try to figure out who God is and who we are. God tells us who He is. God tells us who we are right? Over and over again in the Bible, he is declaring who he is, and he is telling us who we are. This is one of the great purposes of the Bible, right? It's why we read the Bible, to align our minds and our thinking to the Word of God, which is truth, right? Everyone in the world is trying to to really shove you in a mold. This is why Paul in, in Romans 12 says, do not be like conformed or or shoved into the pattern of this world but be transformed by the what the renewing of your mind why so that you'll know what is true and right and good and profitable this is why we read one of the reasons why we read the bible 
In our, in our time in Galatians today, we're going to see those answers. So, friendly reminder, all of chapter 3 up until this point has been trying to answer the question of this. Who belongs to the family of Abraham? That, that's the question. Who are they? And so today, we're going we're gonna to come to that answer because Paul is going to right out of the gate answer it. So look with me, Galatians chapter 3. We're going to look at 26 through 29 to start out with. But just listen to verse 26. For in Christ, let's pause for just a moment. In Christ, in Christ. You could split the world into, into two people groups. There are those who are in Christ and there are those who are in Adam. Those who are in Christ, under blessing, under grace, under mercy. Those who are in Adam are under God's wrath. They are cursed, right? But God loves to bring people from in Adam and put them in Christ. So, so he says, for in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. So, so there's the answer to the question he's been just working through. The, the, the whole church has been longing to hear. And they know it. They know it. He's just reminding them of what they know because they're drifting from truth. Paul's been taking us on quite a journey through the book of Galatians. I, I am loving the book of Galatians. I hope you're loving the book of Galatians. And, I, and you almost think of it like a hike. And that might cause my wife to be a little nervous, right? Because she might have a little PTSD when she hears the word me and hike. Because when we do that, I say, this could go for a two-mile jaunt. Sometimes it ends up being 15 miles. And we thought we were in Canada and we were lost. Um, we were still in Maine and we did find our way out. Thank you, Lord. But, but Paul's not like that. He knows where he's going. He's not like me, man. He knows where he's going. But as we've been going, we've been going up these little peaks. And it's been quite a journey thus far, right? Like some of the peaks, there's just this beautiful little peak called justification, right? Where, where God declares us innocent, fully forgiven, all your past, present, future sins in Christ, and given a foreign righteousness, imputed into your account. You didn't earn it. It's received by grace. It's a gift. That's a glorious peak, Amen. right? Um, how about then, he, he brought up the word redemption, where, where God comes and he pays full price to redeem us back, to buy us back. Another beautiful peak. We've had some valleys. He's talking about false teachers who are, who are leading God's people astray. And Paul says, listen, do not believe their false message, right? That message came from the pit of hell. And, and, if, and if you want to believe that, that's where you're going to go. And he says it with compassion, but he says it very severely. And that's a valley. He talks about the false teachers, he talks about the false teaching. However, today, I think we actually reach the highest peak, the most beautiful peak in all of the book of Galatians that's been said thus far. And I would say that is in the Bible, period, period. Mean better and more beautiful than justification. That's exactly what I'm saying. So pay attention. Look what he says. Believers are sons of God through faith in the Son of God. That's what he says. That's what he says. Notice, he says, believers, 
believers in Christ are all sons of God. Let, let me make mention of that masculine pronoun son. Because some people might have a real problem with that. Why doesn't it say sons and daughters? Why doesn't it say children? And, and they think, see, uh, these, these people, these archaic people, always just talking about sons, sons, sons. No mention of daughters. Can't believe it's more toxic masculinity. We need a new version of this Bible. But if you do that, you lose the beauty of what Paul is doing because Paul is actually elevating women. He's elevating women. The gospel, it, it elevates them, right? Because men and women are made in God's image. Therefore, we have equal value, intrinsic value. We are we're adored, men and women. But the fact that he says sons here matters. And here's why it matters. Because daughters could not inherit in that culture, at that time. So if he says sons and daughters, the culture of that time does not understand that. So when he says you're all sons, he says you all have equal access to this inheritance. And he just raises them to be equal in a culture where it wasn't. And this is why it's so sad to, to think that the way that we will give people value is by changing truth. You'll never give people value by changing truth. The, the truth is there's intrinsic value in the gospel anywhere the gospel has ever went truly the value of humanities always went up educations went up health cares went up because God's people represent their father in heaven and that means to love loves to least of these right just as Christ does so so end that little side note but then before jumping into the glorious truth of this text and, and today all, all you're getting is good news right but I do want to address one more misunderstanding that we'll see. Many people wrongly think that we're all God's children. You may have heard that. You may have believed that. You may believe that now. You may be thinking, aren't we? In the Bible, no, no. That's a serious misunderstanding that the culture perverts. It's not a biblical view to think that all of humanity is God's children. We're all created by God. We're all made in God's image. We all have value because we are image bearers, but you and I are not all God's children. Otherwise, why would you need adopted? Why would you need redeemed? Why would you need rescued? You would not, right? Jesus arguing with the Pharisees in, in, throughout the Gospels at one point says, listen, the reason you don't know me is because you are of your father, the devil. Pooh, you're saying my daddy's the devil? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. And as a matter of fact, before you were adopted in Christ, guess who your daddy was? Your spiritual daddy was Satan. That's awkward. You never see that on a coffee mug. You never see that on a t-shirt. But God designed a, an amazing rescue mission to come and to bring you into his family. We're not all born God's children. We're all born children of wrath. And we need something to happen to make us God's children. And, and God does that. God does that. Notice in verse 26 again. It is through faith in Christ Jesus that God adopts us. See it. Know it, look at it, live it, lap it up, enjoy it. It's the only way. My concern is this beautiful reality does not cause us to want to stand on our heads and shout for joy because we are so comfortable and complacent with that truth that we're like, well, of course we are. That's a stunning reality. 
To think about the God of the universe coming on a rescue mission to, to bring you into his family. That's stunning. Because the reason it's stunning in the church in Galatia or the churches in Galatia is because they knew that Israel was God's son. They knew that. And so it's a stunning reality. I guarantee they were not complacent with the thought. That's right. We have equal access. I don't know if they would have said it like that. Probably not. But like God's my dad. He's my father. Oh, you're not a Jew. I know. Right. Times have changed. Right. Like, but that's always been God's heart. What Paul is teaching here is believers are God's sons. And now I'll say daughters right? Because we understand the context. Why? Because you and I are united with Christ. That's why. Who is the only one and true offspring of Abraham, period. Exclamation point. That's why. Listen to what J.I. Packer says. I I almost didn't even quote this because it's a long quote, but it is worth reading. So you're going to have to engage your brain. You're going to have to pay attention because sometimes you can kind of just check out when someone's reading a quote. You'll never get it all, but try to get the majority of it. He articulates this wonderfully in a book called Knowing God. By the way, outside of the Bible, the greatest book I've ever read. I could not encourage you more to read a book than it's Knowing God. If you read no other book other than the Bible, great. You want to read another book outside of that? Read Knowing God. It will fundamentally shape you, and, and you will be transformed by God's grace and His Spirit. So that would be my recommendation. Listen to what he says. He says, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Higher even than justification. This may cause raising of eyebrows. For justification is the gift of God on which since Luther evangelicals have laid the greatest stress. And we are accustomed to say, almost without thinking, that free justification is God's supreme blessing to us sinners. Nonetheless, careful thought will show that the truth of the statement we have just made The justification by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past together with his acceptance for the future is the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel is not in question. Justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need. We all stand by nature under God's judgment. His law condemns us. Guilt gnaws at us, making us restless, miserable, and in our lucid moments afraid. We have no peace in ourselves because we have no peace with our maker. So we need the forgiveness of our sins and assurance of a restored relationship with God. More than we need anything else in the world. And this, the gospel offers us before it offers us anything else. Okay, but listen. But this is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Adoption is is higher because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. You picking up what he's laying down? Because if you are, what you'll see is that justification is what makes us right with God as judge. And and that's a good thing. If you're on trial and you're guilty and it's it's like a lifetime sentence, that's really bad. And so when the the judge bangs the gavel and says, no, you're, you're innocent, you're free, you're set, go. That's awesome news. But what if that judge, and you're an orphan, and now you're left on your own, got down off that stand, came down, gave you a big hug, and said, now you're coming home with me. You're my family. (laughs) Wow. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is, this is what God has done in Christ. Being in Christ is an awe-inspiring reality for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're united with Christ. We are bound to Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. This is real, genuine intimacy offered to you in the gospel. Jesus is closer to you than your very own skin. There's never a time you're alone. If you're in Christ, He's with you. And nothing, nor no one, can ever change that reality. Not even you. The gospel declares that in Christ we're all sons of God before we're anything else. Sons and daughters of God. This is our primary identity. And if you can grasp this truth by God's grace, then I promise you it has explosive power to transform every area of how you engage with God and humanity in your life. It will fundamentally shape you, fundamentally change you. Don't believe me? Think about it. The world wants to sell us a lie that a person's value primarily comes from what you do. Right? Would you, would you agree with that? Right? Think, think about it. Think about all the self-talk out there. You know, self-esteem, self-image, self-awareness. I mean, the list goes on and on, but it's all about self. And self is actually the problem, the Bible says. You need to not look inside self. Inside self's a mess. It's why, it's why you're where you are if you're in a bad way. And if you don't think you're in a bad way, before Jesus, you were in a bad way under God's wrath. But, but just... All this talk really does is describe who we are deep down. That self-talk, right? So, so imagine, if you were to just ask the average person on the street if they'd answer you, they might not. Maybe if you text them or, or Instagram them or shoot them a picture, whatever, they might. But ask them this question to fill in the blank, right? Who are you? Or, or to answer it the other way, I am, and then say it. What would you hear? What would you think you would hear? I think... A lot of times what you hear is, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, right? Um, I'm pro-life, I'm pro-choice, I'm vaccinated, I'm anti-vax, I think that's terrible. I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm skinny, I'm fat, I'm smart, I'm dumb. I'm, I'm American, I'm Japanese, I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a son, I'm married, I'm widowed, I'm reformed, I'm charismatic. The list goes on and on and on and on. This is how people describe who they are. You might do it. Now, the temptation to constantly place our identity in something other than Jesus is real. It's real, right? Now, to be sure, all of those things actually help to describe who you are. In some regard, right? There's nothing wrong with saying those things. However, I, I would say this. None of those primarily speak to who you are to the core of who you are. They just kind of help you understand a little bit of who you are. If you're a Christian, then if, if you're a believer, if you're in Christ, then you are a son or a daughter of the living God. That is our deepest identity, and it's locked in Christ. It's locked. Can't change it. Why would you ever want to? Our connection in and with Jesus is the truest definition of who we are. So why? Because being always has to precede doing. It has to. Or you and I will always be working for an identity instead of from one. Do you, do you get that? Because if you get that, that will fundamentally change how you live. 
Many times we're working for an identity. We're buying the clothes. We're doing the thing. We're getting the car. We're getting the house. Why? Because we want someone to think of us as this. That's not who you are. It might help explain who you are, but that is not who you are. Listen again to verse 28. This is why Paul says this. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male and female. For what? You are all one in Christ Jesus. What is Paul getting at? Let me discuss what he's not getting at. Little side note. Pay attention. This might not even be an argument that you need answered, but I'm going to answer it for you and then you can think about it. So some people take this text, they rip it right out of the Bible, and then they say, this is why we don't need to talk about gender pronouns. Bible said there's no male. Bible said there's no female. Therefore, we can get rid of roles. We can get rid of roles. That means everyone can be anything. and, And that is not what the Bible is speaking of here at all, right? seminaries will teach this. There are professors that say they love Jesus that will teach this. And you would have to do some serious hermeneutical gymnastics to ever get to the point that that's what you think it is. And people lap it up. Why? Because it fits what I want the Word of God to say. Well, I don't care what you want the Word of God to say, really. What I want to know is what does the Word of God say? And so when we come to the Word of God, let it wreck you. Let it change your mind. Instead of making it say what you want it to say so you can keep on living the way you want to live, doing the things you want to do. We do not do that. We're a people of the Word. We sit, submit ourselves gladly and joyfully under the Word of God. And if the Word of God confronts what I think I want it to say, then I'm wrong and I need to change. And I don't change the Bible And I don't go looking for people on podcasts that will affirm me and my stupid thinking so I can keep living a stupid way. I say, what does the Bible say? And if that is hard for me to read, then I say, God, help me understand because I know you're good. Your word's true. I need to think harder. Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Help me understand. That's what we do. So, end of that side note. Thank you. And I say thank you because God, when we, when we hear truth, we want to say, thank you, Lord. That, that's what that is. We're declaring, yes, Lord, that's right. That's good. That's good. What's he getting at? What's Paul getting at? Well, essentially, here's what he's saying. There's no division between different races, social classes, or even gender in the family of God. That's what he's saying. Well, now that'll preach. That's beautiful. Right? He's, he's not saying that distinctions no longer matter. He's not saying that. Right? So, so you know, I was thinking about Kevin this week. Because Kevin, he, you know, he's a Texan man. He's a man from Texas. He loves the Longhorn. He loves good brisket. Right? That describes Kevin. At some, and that's just the, the tip of the iceberg. But that is not fundamentally who he is. But that describes who he is. So he can say all those things. He can enjoy all those things. But at the end of the day, if the Longhorns lose and he never has brisket again, it doesn't matter because fundamentally that's not who Kevin is. Who is Kevin? A blood-bought child of God. A son. That's who he is. So he's not saying get rid of all these distinctions. He's just saying that's not the center of who you are. It's not. So don't miss the point here. What is the point? The gospel annihilates 
all the barriers that you and I love to set up that separate us from other people, from the different people in the world into little tribes. Well, I'm a Republican Christian. No, you're not. You're a son. You're a daughter. That might help explain who you are, but that is not who you are. So at the gospel, all the walls that we love to erect and set up come tumbling down. They come tumbling down. The gospel just annihilates them right now. That means that I have more in common with a, a Christian woman from some country that I don't even know how to pronounce the name of, that's in a tribe that can't speak a lick of English, does not like bacon. I mean, I'll pray for her, right? <laughs> I play Pearl Jam for her and she thinks that's like a knife in her ear, right? She would never appreciate the fact that I enjoy a good cigar. And, and I have more in common with her than I do someone who's lost in darkness from my hometown who only listens to Pearl Jam while smoking a cigar and sizzling up some divine swine. I have more in common with her have more in common with her than I do that guy. Why? Because we're in Christ and we're family. This is such a beautiful unity for us who are in Christ. I don't need to know you for more than one millisecond to know if you're in Christ, man, you're family. Welcome. It's good to know you. I got the whole eternity to spend with you. What a beautiful thought. We, the, the church, the, the family of God, are all one in Christ. We're family. That's what this is saying. The church should not be marked by fractions or cliques. It should not be. I'm praying for God, give us a multi-generational, multi-ethnic people here to come together. The most beautiful place I ever got to see this, and I've told this story, it's just so impactful. That, that trip was very impactful, not because I walked in the sands of Jesus' feet. It was... Because I went to Israel and there was a time where all the nations were gathering to worship Jesus. And it was a 24-hour worship service. I made it for 19 hours and then I crashed. I was tired. But it was beautiful. People coming from all over the world, man, speaking different languages and just all worshiping one in Christ. And I thought, this is a glimpse of heaven. It's a glimpse of heaven. What a beautiful thought. That Jews are not superior to Gentiles. Gentiles are not superior to Jews. Right? Americans are not superior to Mexicans. Mexicans are not superior to Americans. Men are not superior to women. Vice versa. You get the point. Children aren't greater than the elderly. Elderly are not greater than children. You and I are all united in Christ. We are equal family members. We have equal value. We all have a seat at the table because the king says, come on in. That's what he says. This is the message that the world desperately needs. We think we're going to fix these things by just continually to legislate different things, telling people how to behave. It will never change. You will constantly see people set up their little tribes because they want something you have, and they will continue to fight. The only way forward is to love, and you and I will never love anything other than ourselves unless we understand Christ loves you. And when you understand that, all the walls come tumbling down. And if you have walls, may God just crush them. Crush them. Why? Because you don't even understand the love that he's loved you with if you think you're just going to set up walls and have your own little world. It's not your world. You're not the center of the universe, and that's good news. So many times we want to be self-centered, but God make us a Christ-centered people. 
The world loves to divide into different troops or tribes, right? In our fallen state, we long for something that makes us feel superior to other people. We just love it. It makes me feel good about myself to think that I'm better than you. You're pawn scum. I mean, I, I, this easiest place to see this, by the way, is it was in high school for me, right? Because you, you had people that would just always have this one friend that you could be, like, better than, right? You just kind of look down on, keep them around, punch them. This little guy or gal is just trying to get love, and, and you tell them you love them. You don't really love them. You love you, and you hang out with them because they make you look better. It's sad. This is, but that's our, that is our nature. That's why the Bible says you must be born again. That, listen, we don't seek to do any of that. We take the lowest seat. Christ came to serve, not to be served. So I, we get low. This is why we appeal to our family, race, class, stature, gender. That's why the world appeals to those things so they can feel better. That's why they do that. And in the past couple of years have magnified this. I think it's put it on hyperspeed if you're paying attention, by the way. Like, it's just everywhere. The solution to those problems of race, of gender, of, of, of class, the solution is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we must know it. This is why at For the City Church, we will, we're committed. We are committed to laboring towards the end of preaching, teaching, praying, singing, and creating a culture of love, and not some mamby-pamby, wimpy, worldly love, but a love that is found and biblically rooted so that we will love people no matter their cultural background, no matter their social class, no matter their gender. We center everything around the gospel that says Christ loves and died for sinners. Therefore, we love you. We love you. So that section's who we are, Right? Well, what about God? Well, that's the second point. Look at, look at point two. Listen, we're going to be in Galatians 4, 1 through 7 now. All who have faith in Christ are adopted as God's children through the cross of Jesus Christ. That, that's the, the main point of what I'm about to read. So, so listen up. He says, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Habba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, main point. Almighty God, sovereign God of the universe is your Father if you're in Christ right? That's what he's saying. So many times we, we can emphasize what we've been saved from. I've been saved from Satan, sin, and death, and we forget what we have been saved, or should I say, who we've been saved to. We're always talking about what we're saved from. That's good. It's good to look back, but now look to your God who is your Father. This is who you've been saved to, right? What we see here is, is people We've been saved from, from trying to measure up to the law to get the love of God. That's, that's the point of verses 1 through 3 in that text, right? So we rejoice in whom we've saved too. So who 
have we been saved to? The Father, right? So, so let's look at because you'll see we have one God, three distinct persons, and all persons are actively at work to bring you into the family. So look at the plan of the Father. But when the fullness of time had come, God had sent forth his Son. God sent Jesus to save us from our condemnation, our wrath. We were under the right wrath of God, right? You see that? The need for salvation implies that there's a, there's a, there's a danger, that we need salvation, right? What is that danger? That danger is Satan, that danger is sin, that it's death, but it's, but it's God. That, that's the danger. We are lawbreakers. We're under the wrath of God. We are in the most serious danger of all, but God sends his son. Now listen, if God is for us, then Satan, sin, the devil, not, none of them, they will all fail to destroy us, right? If God is for us. But if God's against us, then nothing could save us. In the gospel, what we see is that God is, is for his children. The fact that God sent his son is proof. It's proof. Look, look. I'm going to read this. You'd never be able to comprehend this in the amount of time that we're going to have, but spend the rest of your life thinking about it. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, just listen to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even, listen, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, so that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's hard to wrap your mind around. That God adopted you before you existed. Before the world existed. Before the foundation of the world existed. Like, long before any of that, God chose to adopt you. Before the foundation of the world? God, what this means is God's plan has always been adoption. And it's not how we think generally. We think, well, if I can't have any natural kids, then, then maybe I'll, have a, I'll adopt some children. God's plan A was, I'm going to adopt. I'm going to adopt. I have no plan B. That's my plan. What's the price? What's the price to adopt the work of the Son? Look at that. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem. To redeem is to buy back. It's to pay a ransom, right? Those who were under the law, why? Why did He do that? Fundamentally, comma, so that. I love that phrase. Every time you see it, you ought to look and then understand because He's answering the question. What's the answer? So that we might receive adoption as sons. That's the apex of why Christ came. Everything else is, is, is just means. To do what? To finish the payment, to get the job done, to bring children home to the Father. Stunning. Redemption or ransom just means that he frees us to be part of God's family. In, in the Bible, redemption means liberation from slavery upon a payment for that ransom. That's really what it means. So when you see that, you ought to be thinking, what was the payment? Christ's blood. It's, imagine, it's, it's kind of like we had run away. We, we put ourselves into slavery. We shackled ourselves. But God willingly pays a hefty ransom to redeem us, to bring us out of slavery and into his home. A stunning reality. To do that, God had to send his eternal son, Jesus Christ. Christ put on flesh, right? Jesus is 
is one person of the Trinity with two natures. He's fully God. He's fully human. He's, there's never been a time there was not Jesus. Never. He's always existed fully divine. But there came a point in history where he put on flesh and he came and moved into the neighborhood to live among us, right? Incarnation. You ever have chili card carn, right? What's that? Chili with meat. Jesus put on meat. That's what incarnation means. It's not as exciting as a lot of the Christmas stories, but that's what it means. God put on flesh and he dwelt among us. He lived among us. Why? Why? To live the life you and I could never live. He lived under the law. He was born of a woman. When he suffered, he really suffered. When he wept, he really wept. When he was tempted, he really tempted. But his life was perfect. It was spotless. He is the spotless Lamb of God who lived the life you and I could never live under the law so that he could then pay the price you and I deserve to pay because we're lawbreakers. He essentially takes our place. He becomes a lawbreaker, not because he ever broke the law, but he took our sin upon him. It's the great exchange, right? Reformation Sunday, woo right? So he goes to the cross, he takes on all the sin of the world, he stretches out his arms in great love, he receives the wrath that you and I deserve because we're such rebels, but he becomes a rebel in our place so that that great and glorious Savior can gift you his perfect life, his death, and his triumph resurrection where you can say, oh, I believe you. And if you believe him, well, then you, my friend, are in the family of God. This is the work of Christ. It's the work of Christ. You, You see that. The cost of adoption to buy you and I to put us into the family of God was the blood of Christ. Jesus died on a cross in order to grant us the great privilege of being able to call God Father. We just say it. We just fling it around. But it's a privilege. It's an amazing thing. And this is foreign to every other religion. You just never hear it. Because it's always based in fear. But that's not the Bible. That's not the God we worship. That's not the God who is. He delights to hear Blood-bought children say, Father, he loves you. What about the Spirit? What's he do? And I say he, not it. Right? I say he, not it. Why? Because the Bible says he. We worship one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit. He's a person. He. Right? The assurance of the Spirit. That's what happens, right? See it again? And because you are Son, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the who we are, crying, Abba, Father. By the way, many times people would say this, Abba, and they, they, they kind of, I don't know, I, I don't want to be too harsh, but they, they make it this baby talk. It's not, that's not the Bible. They say, Abba, Daddy. That, that's not the Bible. They do. I, I've, been, I've sat under good preachers that will say this stuff. It's not what that means at all. It's not baby talk. What it is, is Jesus, imagine him in the garden, sweating drops of blood. Habba, Father. It's an Aramaic word. It does connote big time love, but it is not some like eh, mealy mally wah baby talk. It's not that. It's highly relational. It's highly relational. It's crying out. It's a, it's a cry from within when you didn't think about it. It's just, Father. that's what we see here. Our adoption is not something you and I could ever earn, right? We get that. 
It's a gift that must be received by faith. And when we receive the gift, God gives us profound assurance by giving us himself. Pours the Spirit into our heart. This is an amazing thing, right? Like, when by God's grace we understand this, what will happen is our hearts will overflow with thanksgiving and we will cry loudly with a voice. You may not say these words, but Father... I remember the day I got saved. I remember not saying Abba, Father, because I didn't even know what that meant. Uh, Abba was a song in the 80s. It was terrible, right? But, but I'll tell you this. What I knew is that day God loved me. And I said, Father. I knew it. I knew it. The work of the Son is an objective work done for us externally. But the work of the Spirit is, man, it's... It's, done, it's a work done internally. And it's experiential. It's experiential. To know the love of God deep down within is, a, is, is, is something that happens internally. Both are distinct and both are necessary. Make no mistake about it. But the message that God sends His Son on a cross to die for us while we were warring against him. This is a magical, and I don't mean like ooh, voodoo. I mean a magical message. It's, it's awe-inspiring, and it transforms everything about you. What amazing grace to think that a holy, righteous God who has created us, who sustains all things, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, would love us so much that he would send his son to die in your place. Stunning. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And it doesn't stop there, though. He then gives you the gift of His Spirit upon you, in your heart, dwelling with you, never leaves you. And you have that now. And He would prompt an intimate cry, Father. Can you see how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are wonderfully at work? To bring hell-bound sinners into the family. To clean them up. And to fix his love upon you. Forever. Forever. Once again, J.I. Packer writes this. He says, you sum up the whole New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God. As one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. I couldn't agree more. Talk to people. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yep. Uh, I'm good with the big guy upstairs. I think you, you probably don't know him. You don't know him. You might. I don't get to judge that. But I'm really concerned if that's how you're describing God. The big guy upstairs. I don't know what God you've you're worshiping, but when, when you understand the gospel, and it's a, it's, a, it's a growth, you'll grow, but you will understand, God is my father. I'm his child. So the fact that you approve of me on a good day, I can understand, means diddly squat to me. Why? Because God has fixed his love upon me in Christ because of what he's done. I'm approved. I'm family. God's my dad. That's amazing. I, I, I mean, just think about it. You ever see a kid? I mean, it's just the coolest thing in the world. When a child just loves their dad, and they wear their hat backwards, and they carry a hammer, and they carry a measuring tape, or whatever, but they are just so 
whew, love their dad. They're like, that's my dad. They go to the store, they're glowing. You go get an ice cream, they're glowing, right? That, that's, that's amazing. And that's a picture of a son or a daughter with an earthly father. What an amazing thing to think about that you and I, we get to model and want to be like God. And the more you understand the goodness of God and how glorious He is, you'll want to be like your Father. And who's your Father? He's, he's far beyond our imagination, but He's full of grace. He's full of truth. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He loves. You want to be like your Father in heaven? Love. Be known by love. And who does He love? He loves everybody. That's who we want to be like. And 1 John 3, 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Period. That's what it says. You know, this, this truth can be so hard to wrap our minds around, right? And, and listen, we're almost done, but stay with me. Stay with me. I know it's hard sometimes to listen to long sermons, but we can watch like four episodes on Netflix and always be zoomed in. And I don't say that to guilt you, because I mean, I'll binge watch it right with you. I'm just saying, short sermons aren't always the answer. I know the culture wants that. Long sermons are always the answer. But you need to tune in to what's being said at the end. Do not miss it. Because this this can be so hard to wrap our minds around that God's our Father. So hard. It's going to take a lifetime and more to figure all that out. For some, it's actually going to be harder to understand this truth as a reality. I know that, right? But thankfully, God has given us eternity to enjoy Him and to understand this. But I also understand that depending on the relationship you've had with your earthly father, this can drastically encourage this understanding or really hinder it. I get it. It can really make it very hard sometimes if you've had... Even if you had a good or a bad dad, right? Like good fathers are to be a reflection and are a reflection of God as our father. So if you've had a father like that or have a father like that, praise God, thank God. On, on the other hand, though, you might have had a father that, that, that really fell short. It might have really fell short in ways that you still have just wounds that you're still trying to work through. And that can be a hindrance in how you interpret God as your father. It could be hard to even want to even think of that. And so, so I know that that's the reality for most people. And I don't know about most people in this gathering, but for most people, many times they just have had a horrible dad. That's been their experience. Their dad was passive, maybe too aggressive, over-domineering, maybe harsh, maybe cold, maybe distant, maybe abusively, physically, emotionally. And so that can wreck your idea of God as father. It can negatively affect it. I get that. I've seen it. I'd love to talk more about it. We can talk more about it. Not right this second, but we can. Those things can be worked out. Yet good, bad, or ugly, or somewhere in between, I think we can all agree that an earthly father really is just a pale comparison as God, our father, no matter how good your dad was. No matter how good, right? So, so whether you and I have ever had a good father, a bad father, a father somewhere in between. The message of the gospel is that you and I, through the blood of Jesus, can have access to a perfect father. That's good news. That's good news. It's amazing to think about that we can have access to a perfect father to enjoy 
to love and and he'll work out all the hurts and things and the disappointments that you didn't get to enjoy with your earthly dad that you might have wanted to. Talking to someone this week, their, their, their father died at age two. And just a great void there. Great loss. And, uh, and I said, you know, I'm just going to be praying that the Lord would just help you understand that he can fill that void. But it may never be full as what you want it to be on this side of eternity, but you have all of eternity to be filled with his presence, with his joy, with his delight. Do you ever think about, how do you think God looks upon you? I love asking people this question. If you're in Christ, how does he look upon you? Has he got a frown? He delights in you. He enjoys you. Right? You, you might have always had your father scouring at you. We do that. I do that. I, mean, I try not to. I've got to get my face in check at times. Right? And it's because it's I just know, I mean, I want something better for you. But I still need to get that in check. Lord, help me. Right? But your father in heaven never looks at you like that. He looks at you with delight. You're approved. You're, you're, you're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I know you. I, I, I plan to adopt you before you even existed, before I laid a foundation. You're mine. I was coming for you. My son died for you. I love you. This is the God we worship. And he loves to spend time with his kids. Not in some like little weird way. Like I was thinking about the Lord of the Rings at the end of the movie where all the hobbits are jumping on the bed. That's so stupid. I wish it would never finish that way. Jake, you can rebuke me later. But that was dumb. It was just dumb. What a corny picture that was. No, no, it's, man, he loves you. He enjoys you. And the things you enjoy, what do you get? Well, here's the summary. This is the last text we're looking at. So it's right at the end of the seven. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you are an heir of God. Woo! He's actually through God. No longer slaves, sons, daughters, family members, no longer to reign under sin and death. None of those things. You and I have been adopted and we have been blessed in God forever. So what is the, what is, if you're an heir, you get what? You get all, but let's define those things very quickly. You ready? And we're going to finish them up. What do you get? You get a resurrected body. That's good news. Can't wait for that. I'm so old anymore and brittle. I get hurt sleeping. It's embarrassing. I wake up and I'm sore. I'm like, that didn't hurt yesterday. My wife has to watch it. I gimp around, right? Got to get a little warmed up, take a warm shower, stretch out, do something, right? It's embarrassing. I can't wait for a glorified body, right? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. You get a forever home. You get a forever home. You might be like, man, I can't wait till the housing market crash so I can buy a home right? It's not a bad wish, unless you're selling. But you get a home forever with God. You don't get your own mansion. Terrible, terrible interpretation from King James, right? Um, you will get a place, a room in with God. But, but, but not only that, like it's not some weird thing. You're not on a cloud stroking the little harp. No, if you understand the Bible rightly, what happens is he refines everything. We get a new heaven, we get a new earth. So if there's a place, man, I wish I could have, I always wanted to go visit this place. I don't have enough money to buy the airfare and all the different things, especially now with COVID, it's going to make it really challenging. You have eternity to explore earth without sin. Wonder what that looks like. Stunning, 
Eli and I were just talking about turkeys. They have 400 cones in their eyes. So do eagles. We have like six or something, right? Like, okay, so we're going to see things we just don't see right now. It's going to be magnificent. Why? Because you no longer have sin, and the world no longer has sin, and you have all of eternity to enjoy that world, that home with your God. So you don't need it now. You don't need it now. It's why we don't cling to our lives saying it's all about me and I'm going to go take you know, 50 vacations and who cares about all the people that live around me in my neighborhood dying and going to hell. It's about me, baby. The gospel cures that, fixes that, has as you think, I don't need that now. I have eternity for that. But if you get that, well then praise God, enjoy that. Go on vacation. Right? Eat your crab legs. You get a father, you get a father, you get God as your father and you get a family you get a family you might be like I really wish I had a family we could do these big things with you have a really big family a huge family you get the church so do you see what we inherit and we get all of this because of what Christ has done that's the good news so who is God he's your father if you're in Christ he's your dad he's your father who am I I'm his child I'm his son you're his daughter right Stunning. Thank you, Jesus, for making this possible. Let's worship him. Let's praise him. Let's love him. Let's gladly lay down our lives in glad submission to make his name great here in Greensburg and to the ends of the earth. Oh, God, would you help us do that? Let's pray. Father, What an amazing thing it is that we get to call you that. Thank you so much for having this amazing plan of redemption to adopt hell-bound sinners into your family, for sending Jesus at the perfect time to come and to live the life we could never live, to, to die the death that we deserve to die, to triumphantly resurrect, so that we could have assurance knowing that, that it is all done. It is finished for those who trust in you. It's, it's done. We have you, you have us, and we are firmly in your grip. And it is not my strong grip that will keep me from straying. It's my Father's got his eye on me and on everyone in this room. And so, Father, we know you love to bring sinners into your family. So, God, I pray that your spirit would empower us to be in and through this community to bring the good news of the gospel so that more and more people might come to know you as Father and that we will rejoice, heaven will rejoice, angels will erupt in joyous singing at the fact that one more has come home. So, Lord, continue to build your family through us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.